This is Old Man Rolling Dice. Hi, this is DM Jeremy with Old Men Rolling Dice. I'm on my own tonight. There is no Jason here with me, but I am joined by DM Bill. Bill and I met at the local game store probably... How many years ago, would you guess? Three, anyway. Three? Anyway. At least three. At least three. Bill was actually doing a something he called Forging Fields, which uh, was sort of like a DM seminar, would you call it? Yeah, like a workshop. Yeah, how-to, how-to. And I jumped on the opportunity to talk <laughs> because I like to talk, and uh, the rest is history. So D uh, Bill DMs from his home mostly? Yeah. With friends? Yep. Yeah. And I know that you kind of were looking for paid gigs. Yeah, yeah, still. Yeah. I mean, um, I almost had something set up with a local hotel. Uh, they wanted me to come in and do like... Uh, yeah. Uh, holiday stuff mm -hmm. but uh, it hasn't panned out it's just sitting out there you know if it happens it happens I want to do one shots like yeah. a birthday party mm -hmm. and just let me come in for four hours especially for people that have never played an RPG yeah and you get that moment where everybody at the table goes wait we can do anything anything mm -hmm. like how many people are in the blacksmith shop <laughs> is there any windows and you're like oh they're gonna kill them yeah. that's where everybody mm -hmm. goes first yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how much gold does this guy have yeah, no, for sure. So we're going to talk about props tonight. Bill is sort of a prop expert in my opinion. He might not consider himself that. And uh, we have, uh, we, we've run a, a number of uh, events called Heroes for CF. And Bill last year DM'd for us and brought all kinds of props to his table, which is where I was like, ah, I got to talk to Bill about props. Because I would like to use props more. But I don't because of time constraints. I feel like it takes too much time to get the prop ready. I'm trying to find alternate sources, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But, uh, yeah, why do you use props, I guess, is the first question. Well, i got to warn you. Uh, in re in re respect to Heroes for CF, this year I'm going to rent a cubicle, and I'm going to have, I don't even care what the theme is, I'm building a gypsy tent. And I will be in character <laughs> as a gypsy. Well, we'll talk later. There's, uh, actually, if we use the same event of the venue we did last year, they have a single room that we can uh, that we can put a game into. I'm gonna need that. Might be a good one. I'm gonna need a fog machine and strobe lights. Yeah, I think that might be fun <laughs> if we do have a special room. Yeah, and maybe maybe high donations go to the special room or something. That would be cool. Be uh, cool. Why do I use props? Yeah, why? As opposed to just because I mean I think. I think most DMs might use a letter. Mm -hmm. Stain it with tea. Sure. Burn it in the oven. Or be cheap and just buy parchment. How dare they? Not cheap. Cheap <laughs> is not right. Uh, be time efficient. Yes. Time efficient. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think most DMs have done that. Most DMs have built a letter. They might have even gone out and got some wax and done a wax seal. Yep. P.S. You cannot use candle wax for such a seal. You have to actually... Get sealing wax. Yeah, that's from experience. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and maybe even a book. I tried doing a book once, a journal. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to to write out a journal. Yeah, I got to about fourteen, fifteen pages, and I was like, this is all the part of the journal they find. <laughs> you have to you have to measure the amount of time you put into it to the to the bang you want to get at the table. That's why I use props. DMs tell a story, right? Our job is to 
tell a story and everybody has their own way that they take that in. Uh, right. I have a couple players who I say they like to watch the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they really don't participate, but they just like the back and forth and they like to watch the movie props. Let us hold the story in our hands mm-hmm. and it transcends the, the idea that I have in my mind, if I'm articulating it the way, um, in such a way that you see the same thing I see when I'm talking about the game world, which is probably what a lot of DMs are trying to do. The prop lets you, the game world manifests at the table, right? Here's my example. I have uh, somewhere kicking around here, this guy. This is an old uh, cloak pin and it's iron and it's old. And it's cold. Mm. And when you touch it, it jingles and rattles. And that's it. It's a cloak (laughs) pin. This is awesome, actually. We had a whole chapter of a campaign uh, that was uh, called Her Father's Forge. And it was all about two sisters who had identical cloak pins made by their father, who is now passed on. One sister has fallen into degeneracy and the other sister is married to the the guard captain. So, you know, very different lifestyles. The sister who's married to the guard captain has two daughters and she wants to pass the cloak pins on. Go find the other cloak pin. Yeah. That, and that's something that, um, when you talked about creating stories and, uh, and having a piece of the story come to the table, I think, especially in that example, and now it's not just you're not just handing them here this is what the lantern looks like and i put a lantern on the table this is an actual item of, of value to the adventure to the story and you're you're going to use that to yeah. yeah yeah i mean like any good dm when they finally found the second pin it was cursed obviously <laughs> so whoever was holding the cursed pin at the table was constantly taking necrotic damage, mm-hmm. right? And it had to do with the way that the sister passed away and the rest of it. It was attached to this cult and I could go on and on. But uh, it, um, it was physically held by somebody at the table and it had to be in their hand because they were holding it. Mm-hmm. And if they put it down on the table, well, where is it in the game world? You have to hold it. If it's on your person, you're being damaged. And so now it becomes this like meta game of who holds it, who can stand that damage kind of thing. Yeah. When you're, when you're measuring, uh, the amount of effort you put into something versus the effect that it has at the table, you can, we're sitting in front of a a spread of, uh, home built terrain. Yep. This is like a sub hobby for me, right? I just like, um, building little models and trying to see what new techniques are going on out there. Um, for people who are interested in that, the terrain tutor on YouTube is the man. There's a Canadian named uh, black magic craft. Okay. I watch him a lot. Yep. He's, he's sensational. I, I really like him. And that, this is something I wanted to touch on as well is <clears throat> so on Twitter today, mm-hmm. I kind of put out that we were having this discussion tonight about props mm-hmm. and, uh, asked, you know, just generally, do people use props? Do you use props in your game? Let me know about it. So one person said, yes, I use props in my game. They didn't send me a picture of like a a cloak pin or, uh, 
you know, a bag of runes or something like that, mm -hmm. they sent me uh, a picture of their, uh, the train they had built, mm -hmm. um, the miniatures that they were using. And I think the miniatures were homebrewed. I, I, like, I don't think they were out, just bought. They were made. Uh, they were paper minis. And, um, and I thought to myself, I, I would not consider that a prop. Mm -hmm. But then I got to thinking, it really is a prop. Sure. Yeah. It's not, it's not the kind of prop that I had in mind, but yeah, that's a prop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you weigh out the amount of people who are just playing pen and paper. Mm. And you know, like I've, uh, actually I was inspired by, uh, the maps that you guys made. I started tinkering with, uh, watercolor. Can't hold that thing for the that's life okay. of me. I started uh, tinkering with watercolor to make maps out of watercolor yep. and then found watercolor painting. And now I'm like, I want to get good at watercolor painting. But I think when it comes to like 3D terrain, um, I would consider it a prop, especially if it has um, special significance to the storyline. Sure. And it's... If you're going to a mage's tower and you make the mage's tower. and you ma Okay, that's perfect. If you make the mage's tower mm -hmm. and... So, like, each house that I have here yep. are specific buildings that you can visit. Yeah, so in, exactly. Instead of saying, like, uh, now, one day I'm going to have 25 of these things and I'm, sure. I'll have a whole city built when I have the time to build the city. Mm -hmm. But until then, we have, like, each building and you can go and, like, specifically visualize each each building. Yep. Um, you, uh, you touched on the bag of runes. Yeah. Okay. Can I, uh, and I and I bring that up? I see you've got a bag yeah. of rocks down there. And <laughs> no, it's not a bag of rocks. A bag of rocks. <laughs> uh, our last DM that we had on, yeah. uh, Devin, uh, he's actually playing in a campaign world that runes are drawn at the game table to dictate things like random encounters and things like that. Okay. Uh, it's based off of a Viking world. Uh, I think I, I want to say it's called something Journey to Ragnarok, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I think a bag of runes would probably be a very easy prop for people to invest in. Okay. In your last podcast with Devin, uh, we're supposed to be, actually, I'm finally going to be a player. Oh, awesome. And uh, we're going to be playing through Curse of Strahd. Yep. And um, as soon as I hear it on a podcast or whatever, I try to tune out so I don't find mm -hmm. anything out. Mm -hmm. But I heard you guys reference some sort of scene with a fortune teller. Yes. So let me tell you about this bag of rocks down here. <laughs> uh, I brought that to Heroes for CF. Yep. And a little known fact about me that I purposefully, I like that when I have a new table, they don't know this about me. Uh, I've been doing uh, magic, so like close, uh, close up sleight of hand magic mm -hmm. forever. Okay, so um, the bag of rocks down there is my rewrite of a really old magic effect and uh it was redone recently by a guy named darren brown who called it the liar's test but max maven you know like the guy with the eyebrows yes that guy yeah. right that guy's the guy that came up with this okay and um uh referencing darren brown uh, as a matter of fact he makes a, a great book that influenced my DMing specifically. It's called Absolute Magic. Mm -hmm. Basic point is this. He says, magicians get up all the time and say, I got this top hat. Look, I pulled a rabbit out of the top hat. But that doesn't make sense in the context of the magician. Because the magician, so what? You had a rabbit on your head the whole time? Like, that doesn't make sense. 
And so it's almost like when we're DMing, um, it's almost, it's like encouragement to fully forfeit yourself to the character you're playing, right? And um, I've heard you tell players it's okay to do silly voices. Mm. And like, it's okay to to jump in and be like, I'm George Brightbrewing, nice to meet you. And like, it's okay. So this is what I think DMs could bring to, this is my big push for DMs, uh, using props to bring magic to the table. So fortune teller. I had at uh, Heroes for CF, when they walked into my dungeon, the very first person in there was a fortune teller. And none of them killed her. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was awesome. I thought for sure the first person in there, they're going to be like, does she have a necklace on? Um, Is anything magical? I detect magic. So uh, here's, um, here's how it works. There are six white stones and one black stone. And it's a burlap bag that I've kind of uh, distressed. And um, here's about prop building. When you distress something, distress it. Okay, don't rub tea on it. I buried that thing in my garden. You know, and you take it out and you grind it up against stuff. Like, make it look like it's lived. So, I went around the whole table. And this effect is really easy to learn. I went around the whole table. I put all the stones, seemingly, in the bag. And you jangle them around so you can hear them. Like, make a noise in there. And the purpose of the fortune teller in the dungeon at Heroes was she was divining that someone would be offered a chance. And let's find out who that is. So everybody reaches into the bag and pulls out a stone in a closed fist. And I know who's holding the black stone. Okay, so everybody's got a stone in their hand and only one person has that black one. And then the effect is, and imagine the players at the table don't know that I know how to perform magic. Okay. So bit by bit, I can either tell them this is the person holding the black stone, which is totally anticlimactic. And why would I know that? And it doesn't make sense. There's no context. Or I could have each person hold their hand out on the table or maybe place it in my open hand. And with one or two of them, I might say, do you feel that? Are you are you squeezing it harder? Or maybe I can just feel that it's a little bit warmer here. Put your hand on the table and we'll eliminate three or four of the people by saying, oh, I don't think I sense it as much here. And then they open up their hand to reveal a white stone. Now we have three left and you can build and build and build. But the, I never tell them that I know how to predict the future. I never tell them I know who's holding the black stone. And then when they passed through that, that, uh, that room, for all three groups, they all had this like delayed seven or eight minute later. And they just kind of turn and go, how the fuck did he know we had the black stone in my hand? <laughs> you know, and there's that like, sure. and you just get that. So how do what? you know? Or you're not going to go up the trick. Uh, sure. So it's, it's a simple slight. So you're going to hold all the stones in your hand and yep. palm the black one. When you dump them all in the bag, you palm that stone and it kind of, um, it remains in your hand. The stone is? Yep. Okay. And your hand is holding the bag. Okay. With all the stones in it. Oh. That hand has the stone in it. 
pass, pass, pass. Everybody gets their stone. When it comes down to the last two, mm. you release the black stone. So one of the last two is getting that black stone. Now I've eliminated four out of six. So all I need to do is my first prediction has to be one of those two people. Oh, and it okay. will either be the black stone. How the fuck did he know I had the black stone? <laughs> or it'll be the white stone. Now we can play the game of gradually releasing the information. That's fantastic. Um, so I DM, I have a partner that DMs at the bench with me, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And he was, we did an interview with Jonathan and his wife, Colleen, first uh, to sort of kick things off here. Jonathan has a deck of many things mm-hmm. in his current campaign. And his group is having all kinds of fun with that deck of many things. <clears throat> so I asked, was he, like, like, how he was able to, I find that magic item to be a little too random and chaotic. I would have a hard time, for one shot I would drop it in, mm-hmm. but a campaign where people have built up characters to simply draw a card and your character loses their soul. Yeah. I would have a hard time with that. as Because it would always happen to a character that I, as a DM, was invested in their story as well. Like, I'm invested in all the characters' stories, but there's always one or two that I'm like, I really want to see where the character takes yeah. this. Yeah. Or I've got a great twist on this guy's story or this girl's story, and she's not going to see it coming until it's too late, and I wonder how that'll play out. So I'm invested there too, and I don't like the fact that I that with simply drawing a card, they could be removed from the game. Mm. So I asked him, I said, like, how do you handle that chance? And during the conversation it came up that uh, Matt Colville, I don't know if you're familiar of course. with him. But he talks real fast, and there's lots of jump cuts. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but DM Matt Colville, he gave his party a deck of many things, and mm-hmm. he revealed it to them in a box, and he gave the cards out and let them cut before it went back in the box. Unknown to his players, he had hidden the card he wanted to nice. be pulled from the deck of many things in the box, in the lid of the box already. So it drops on top. Yeah. So then it automatically drops on top. So it doesn't matter. That's simple magic. Yeah. Simple magic. And th- this is what yep. reminded me when you started talking about this. And I thought, I thought, and the deck of many things is, is another great, like if DMs out there want to put it in their game, there's lots of, you can go on to Etsy, you can go on to Amazon. You, lots of people make their version of the deck of many things. Mm-hmm. So I just thought to myself, yeah, that's essentially what that's essentially what Coville was doing. He's trying to give the illusion of randomness. Uh, he can even play the game up knowing that card is going to be the first card sure. pulled from the deck of many things. If whether it be, you know, I don't know what card he wanted pulled. I I, I don't recall, but like let's say it was the one that where someone loses their soul. He actually wanted that. Maybe that player is going away on vacation. And we're going to do a quest to find that player's soul or whatever, you know, whatever you want to come up with. But I just think it's neat that I I don't know that I would call it magic, but yeah, it's essentially you're, you're rigging, you're rigging the game so that the DM, like, how did he know that it was that? Yeah. I would call that magic in magic. That's called a force. Okay. Okay. Pick a card, any card. Yes. You're not picking any card, Jeremy. No, no. And there's like, I want you to pick. And I know there's like ways that they sort of put their thumb in and things like that where they can, they know where the card is going. I have a, another box over here with a variety of items in it. There's a little jar of sand. There's an old spoon. There's a skeleton key. There's about six items. Mm. 
by the way, this is a perfect segue. Okay. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> There's another. Uh, I have two more use of props magic ideas that DMs can learn in a night and bring to the table. Uh, this there's a age old uh, magic effect called the magician's force. Mm -hmm. Basically there's a number of items on the table. Yep. I know which one you're going to pick and it doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to force you to pick it, but it feels like you were the one that decided it mm -hmm. even better. You could have another player at the table secretly, you know, air quote, secretly make the decision and you have to build a connection between those two people. For some reason, it's been determined they're soulmates, they're partners, mm -hmm. or they're going to go do something together. A, a, an amazing start to a campaign is to have two separate groups. One group picks the item in silence from the items on the table, and the other knows which one they picked, so-called psychically. Mm -hmm. Take it a step further, and you put every item in the box ties back to the story directly so again you're uh, you're meeting with some sort of uh, uh, fortune teller or a gypsy and they have these items that relate back to the story mm -hmm. and you can force it on the players so that they think they're making that decision that's another one yeah. i did for one of those midnight games at the bench okay yeah and yeah. uh you had uh when they figured out that they picked the thing they just decided on in mm -hmm. secret and everybody kind of looks around the table and then looks back at me and like, did you? Is that how, it, so have you built a story twist for each item on the table and it doesn't matter which one they pick? It's a force. There's only one you can pick. Right. And so basically. So I how do you force that though? Uh, like, cause what I'm envisioning is there's a whole bunch of different items on the table. I don't know, maybe a dagger, a book, uh, sure, yeah. a gem, something else. There's a, there's a version of this effect called evoke by a guy named Doc Hilford. And his version's the best. And so basically it goes like this. There are six items on the table. What I want you to do is start from left or right. Free choice. And it's always free choice, free choice, whatever. <laughs> and, and number them. One, two, three, four, five, six. And in my brain, I know. So you've numbered them. And this uh, cloak pin here is number three. So I say pick evens or odds. Doesn't matter what you say. If you pick evens, I say push the evens toward me. If you pick odds, push the odds toward me. And now we've eliminated half of the objects. Mm -hmm. And then every... Yeah, because it doesn't. if they pick even, then you eliminate the evens. That's right. And, every and if they pick odds, that, you still eliminate the evens. Yeah. So then there's three <laughs> items left. And I say, take your hands slowly and deliberately. Place them over top, suspended in midair. Don't touch them yet over two of those items, free choice, whichever ones you want. And you pick if uh, the cloak pin is in the middle now. You pick the two items on the outside. Well, we just won the game, didn't we? Because you're going to put your hands down on those items and push them forward to me and eliminate them. And now you're stuck with the cloak pin. If you have your hand on that cloak pin, no problem. Take the other one that you haven't selected yet, push it toward me, we'll eliminate it. Oh. And then you have one item in each hand. I see how it's going. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hand me one of that them. Is, okay, this is what I like about props and talking to other DMs. That is so simple. Yeah. It's evil is what it is. Because yeah. it, when, it's, when it's performed correctly, and it is a performance, you have to practice it on your wife 13 million times. 
<laughs> you have to practice it on the guys at work. When you, I practiced enough on my wife. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when you can perform it dead nuts without looking at the items yeah. and keeping in character, it's a blockbuster. And it's so simple. There's no sleight of hand. You don't have to learn double lifts or the classic pass. You don't have to learn... Uh, so here's here's my question then for you. So in this case, they eliminate all the items but the clothespin. So yep. then what do you do in the plot to make them have that oh shit moment? That the clothespin is... The cloakpin is a key or something? Or... Because really, I mean, when I'm behind the screen, if they if they if they could have picked any of those items and I could make it the key, do you know what I mean? So what I would do is I would have it uh, well, it would be all- significant in some way for the story. Yeah. But I would have it so that, um, okay, so you're stuck with the cloak pin mm-hmm. and we're at the table. We're surrounded by shelves in this room and the shelves have all sorts of weird little trinkets on them. Yeah. And inside that locked box that's been here. That's what I just thought about. Since we got here. Or put it on the table. You know, something. (laughs) Yeah. Something. And then we would open it up and we would say, well, isn't that magnificent? (laughs) The only thing, better yet, you could write it down and mail it to one of your players. Bring this envelope and don't open it. And this, this was done six months ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a. I'm digging that. Yeah, it, 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 your story with the two daughters with the two clothespins. Just imagine that there's a second clothespin in a box right in the middle of the table. Uh, you, it's a chest or something, and yeah. they're eventually going to find that chest. And when they open the chest, they're going to find the other clothespin. And at that moment, they've got to think back and go like, that t- that box has been there the entire game. Yeah. How the fuck did he know I was <laughs> yeah, going to pick? How that? How did they know? He know I was going to pick that clothespin? Yeah. As part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Because that can't be that can't be manufactured behind the screen. Like yeah, when no. you're using another prop, it's real. That, it's real magic. Yeah, it's real. It feels like real magic, especially if your players don't know you're practicing. Because yeah, it's it's a drop dead moment. Well, I might have to steal this for dread this year. Uh, I'll give you. I have an uh, an idea <laughs> for you for dread. Yeah. Okay, so there's a magician named Shin Lim. Yep. And uh, he produces this effect. Uh, as honestly as I sit here, I have no fucking idea how he does it. But, so somehow, he can produce actual visible smoke anywhere he wants. In his hand, under a glass, on the table, out of his mouth. There's this apparatus he has Mm -hmm. that on his command, he can produce smoke. Okay, so that's... At, at without context and without the proper performance, without the understanding that I'm not showing you a magic trick, this is actual magic. Mm. That's cheesy. But if you were to present it at the table as in character, as I've seen this done and I've only attempted it, you know, just just bear with me. Maybe everybody could hold hands. And we'll breathe in deeply. We'll breathe out deeply. Slowly, and on your command, smoke comes. Oh. <laughs> Mind blown. Mind blown. There's a whole, there's a whole subgenre of magic that's prop based. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called bizarre magic. Okay. So it's things like, imagine an ornate box that's aged, maybe has a broken lock on it, mm-hmm. and has a built-in electromagnet that you have the switch to 
and it's in your shoe and you can hit it with your foot. And when you put a spirit bell on top of it and ask quietly in the dim light and silence around you, if the spirits are with us, and it fucking dings. <laughs> and it dings. Oh, and if you haven't told your, your players yet, you, you might lose some players. That might be too real. That might be. <laughs> like, that might be. There's, uh, there's leagues and leagues of magic. So, so Dread, for people that don't know, we're, we're referencing a game called Dread, which is essentially a horror uh, role-playing game. Uh, it doesn't have to be horror. It, 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 it works for suspense and horror. And basically, the only mechanic in the game is a Jenga tower. Uh, the, the, the Jenga board... I, I don't know if it would be called a board game. <laughs> a but, stressful, angry Jenga tower. But you have a Jenga tower in the middle. And basically, <laughs> anytime you want to do something in the Dread game... It requires a pull on the tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you can add props to Dread, Dread becomes an even better game. I used, I talked about that journal that I wrote. Mm -hmm. So in my Dread game last year, uh, the players find an abandoned cabin in the woods, and they realize that someone has locked themselves in the cabin. Oh, for sure, don't investigate that. Like, like they <laughs> no, they go into the cabin, but they realize everything's locked. Like, they had to break their way in. Everything's locked up, but there's no one in here. There's no way the person could have gotten out of the cabin. Hmm. There's no body. Yeah. That's, so they, they yeah. start pulling up floorboards. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so it's really dark down between that hole and the floorboard. If you'd like, you can reach in. Oh. And I had, oh, I had yeah. taped the journal <laughs> to the bottom of the table. Yeah. So they had to blind reach under the table. Oh, that's good. To find that's strong. To strong. find the journal. So now they're reaching under the table. Only one person could do it. And they have to reach under there blindly. And everyone else is like asking them, what are you feeling? What are you, what's under there? Yeah. Uh, and then they pulled the journal out. And it's the journal of the boy that had locked himself in the cabin to stay away from the werewolves and eventually succumbed. It took me a long time to make that journal. Yeah. Uh, hiding it under the table came to me literally at the last moment. We were sitting down for the game and I thought... I can just put this under the table. Nobody's here. Strong. So I yep. grabbed some tape. And I just literally, one one little bit of masking tape and stuck it up under the table. Yeah. And and that's how they found it. So I think those that like when you use a prop like that, and um, I think props do have that that ability to have that effect. And if you, you're, the idea of incorporating little sleight of hand. Yep. I don't think everybody can do that. I think everybody can. Do you I think, think everyone could do your rock trick? Absolutely. I think you could pick it up in 15 minutes. Yeah? Yep. I'm not sure everybody, just everybody could. Yeah. I mean, or put it like this. Uh, it's like everybody can ride a bike, but you got to figure out how to ride a bike. Okay, sure. sure. You know, and so, so it's you got to like, put a little time into it. But. There, there's going to be, for any use of anything past character sheets and pencils, mm -hmm. there's an investment of time. Sure. And so you have to, you have to measure what investment of time you're comfortable with to get the bang at the table. Like, uh, for for making that measurement, I'm the wrong guy. I have full costume for multiple characters mm -hmm. that, like, I'll do a bathroom break at the table because it's time for a wardrobe change. That's awesome. You know, so it just... That's awesome. It, uh, it depends on I, I how far have, in you want to go. Every Halloween, I run a game with friends, and uh, I usually dress up for the game. Mm -hmm. That's the That's the keys. So everything your props are made by you. You take the time, generally speaking, yeah, time to make them. Yep. And I brought my. I think this is called a Da Vinci 
a DaVinci code box. It's uh, it's basically half a dozen wheels with all the letters of the alphabet around. And when you turn it to a certain place, when you buy it, it's it's set as uh, I love you. And then it'll open and it pulls out from the inside. And I talked a little bit about with you beforehand about like it cost it cost me 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. It cost me 50 bucks. It was not a prop that I would have found. I just happened to be, I was on an escape room site looking for what, the, if they had puzzles and that, that I could use for my dread games. Sure. And they suggested this. So I think there are, there are things like that out there that people could, could just buy. They don't have to make them, right? They don't have sure, to. Sure. I mean, crap. you remember, you must remember when you're a kid, you get those like brain teaser puzzles. Yeah. So you could just make the, the win condition solve this brain teaser puzzle. Yeah. And when you do that, it unlocks the thing. Or this is a rune that was found on a pedestal. And when you manage to get the two pieces apart or X, Y, Z, mm -hmm. something happens. Did you make the brooch? The, the, the cloak pen, rather? No, I'd love to take credit for that. But I bought that for 11 bucks on Amazon. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right? Or if you go out to some of these antique fairs. Flea markets. Flea markets. All day. Yeah. Like you could... Um, I realize there's that some things can get pricey out there, but we're not talking about big pricey things. In fact, probably the more beat up and sort of distressed, as you put it, yeah, the item, the better. Yeah, well, it depends on what you're getting at. Because if you're building a prop for, say, like, you know, an opulent Jarl's treasury or something, it's going to look yeah. a lot different than some sure. decrepit thing that you would find somewhere else. But uh, uh, certainly, I mean, all the little ornate boxes you see around here are from the buck store with just uh i hit them with a wood stain and beat them with a screwdriver yeah and that makes them look old that's all right <laughs> that's all right i know that uh craft stores like uh michael's and that now sell like actual built boxes the buck store boxes. does does it yeah yeah I, i'm like uh i'm like a an aficionado for dollar stores i know which dollar stores in town have which materials <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a bottle over there, an old glass bottle. I've, I've seen many tables with potions on them. Okay, and you see, like, it wouldn't... that That's what I was just thinking when you said that. A prop on the table wouldn't necessarily have to be functional or have utility. It could just to be set the mood. At uh, Heroes, I had four things on the table that could be used for sleight-of-hand magic. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not to be confused with, like, Magic the Gathering. Yep. And the rest of it was potions and a big uh, hawk's feather that I found in my backyard mm -hmm. and just stuff to be like, ooh, look at this, all this yeah. trinkety stuff, you know. Um, at a Halloween game, uh, Ravenloft actually, we did our own potions. We made sure that the liquid inside were different colors. Yeah. Obviously washed out these old glass bottles we'd gotten really well and then uh, put them on the table. And when potions were found, we actually like divvied out the potions on the table. And if they wanted to know what it was, they had to drink it. So as I said earlier, I put this out on Twitter. So I want to, I want to tell you about another one. Yeah. Another shoot. person that got back to me. So, and I'm, uh, hopefully I'm not butchering the name, but it's K, I think it was K and K play D and D. And hopefully I've gotten your name right. K and K play D and D. But it's, I believe it's like a husband, wife or boyfriend, girlfriend, or, uh, or maybe it's girlfriend, girlfriend. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But they they have um, they answered me. They were like, "Well, they use props to differentiate character at the table." And I was like, "Could you give me an example of that?" And she was awesome. She, she like made my day. I was like, 
I've been thinking about this, and then here she sends me this picture of herself, literally uh, in about half a dozen different hats. Oh. Hats, sunglasses. Uh, I think at one point, I think it's maybe a golf club she's holding or something. Um, <laughs> but she sh- And she has great, great faces. Like, she's every hat in character had a different face, a different look. <laughs> she looked amazing. That's why it made my day. I was just like, this is awesome. And it was exactly what I was thinking about. And again, I talked earlier about how something so simple comes across and you go like, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just the simple change of a hat at the at the table could be huge from like you don't like doing funny voices that's fine but like have you got a have you got a a bowler's hat maybe you put put the bowler's hat on for a specific character and the minute that hat comes out your players are if that npc has made a connection of any kind as soon as the hat comes out they're gonna say everybody out there has hats yeah everybody out there has scarves yep uh, maybe a pair of glasses, fake or otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, a pair of sunglasses, and just by switching out those simple things. I mean, it's essentially a prop, and, and you're using it to differentiate uh, characters. I thought, what a great idea. What and I'll bet idea. you, like, this is purely bro psychology. Like, mm-hmm. I have zero uh, actual evidence, but I'll bet you, if you have a PC that is uh, one of those people who likes to watch the movie, I'll bet you if they do something actively to quote unquote become the character, mm-hmm. I bet you they participate more. Yeah. You know. Yep. Bro psychology, as I said. Like this is just like No, I think you're right. I think <laughs> I think anything that brings the person into the game and if like the if simply wearing a scarf notes that you are, you know in the game. Yeah. Maggie the magician. Yep. You know, and that well that's the other thing. And she was I think she was telling she was uh, essentially showing uh, this to me from a DM standpoint of view, but I think even if the players had a prop for themselves, mm-hmm. somehow bring your prop into the game some way, I'll give you an inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to roll dice and talk about imaginative, imagination things all night, but to actually then get like, I've got that scroll here, yeah, or I've got that key, or I've got that cloak pin, or I've got that puzzle, yeah, whatever. That, you know that that's that's fun to me. That makes that adds to the night. It's layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Javi, so here's we're getting to the end of our time. Here's the question though that I do have with props. So I've got my Da Vinci box here. Yep. With the with the letters, and you have to figure out the word. We talked about puzzle boxes and things like that. Yep. We didn't we didn't actually talk about it yet, but we did before we came on mic. Your stick with the... That's called a sky tail. Okay. We'll talk about a sky tail in a second because I, I think people need to use and abuse that. I think that's lots of fun. But they have that in their hands mm-hmm. and they as people can't figure it out. Okay. But I'm a wizard with 20 intelligence. Yep. Or whatever stat blocks you're using. I'm someone who's really smart. Yep. Very intuitive. My character is. I'm not as a player necessarily, but my character is supposed to be. Yep. So... Have you ever experienced where the player looks at you and just goes like, wouldn't my character be able to figure this out? Yeah, big time. Great question. Uh, I have experienced that specifically. Uh, I had an idea to, uh, I have a couple chests, like actual like table-sized chests, and I wrapped one in chain, and I put a lock on it, and I put a number of implements on the table to pick the lock, Mm -hmm. and if you can pick the lock, you can have what's inside, and I posited that idea on Reddit first, uh, 
And uh, what I got on Reddit was that my character can do this, but I can't, so now what? And the same thing happened in the real world. Couldn't figure out how to pick that lock. I said, well, good news is we're going to be here for about three or four hours. And I promise it'll feel really good if you pick the lock. And like uh, where I come from as a DM, I like challenging situations. I like bringing ethical and moral dilemmas to the table that are real. And I play for the expression of art and to play with life a little bit and to throw like some real life choices in there where like there's no easy win here. Both of them suck and we have to figure out which sucks less. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it comes to, you know, a player that uh, I wouldn't bring a locked chest to a table I don't know because that it might be frustrating and we're not playing to be frustrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for players I do know, too bad. If you if you unlock it, I promise it'll feel good. There will be a actual vocal celebration. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, I guess you'll never know what's inside. Yeah. You know, yeah. mind you, the lock that I had for this thing was a dollar store lock. Okay. You could like spit on it and it would open. Mm-hmm. Right. So they basically stuck a flathead screwdriver in there. Crank the shit out of it and it opened. Yeah. Right. But it was still the, that they had to go and do that. See, I don't want to sound like an old school whiny first edition <laughs> player, but there was a time where D&D didn't have skill checks. Yeah. And if you had put a prop on the table, everybody would go nuts for that. And nobody would have said, my character is smart enough to know how to beat this. Yeah. So it just I, I I don't believe that would have happened. Yeah. And now there are skill checks, proficiency checks in all game systems pretty much. And people lean on them. And I get it. We're playing in worlds that like obviously I don't know how to fly, fly a spaceship. My character can fly a spaceship. Mm-hmm. That's half the fun. My character can fly a spaceship. Sure, of course, yeah. I guess to answer your question, uh to date, I have not had somebody come to me on a, a one-shot table where I don't know anybody mm-hmm. or a regular group that I play with, I haven't had the situation where somebody says something about a prop or a puzzle or a problem where my character could do this, so dot, dot, dot. I think if it's if it's brought to the table in the spirit of fun, mm. that's it. You know what? That... Like I'd be, it would be curious. You know how we were talking about the, the, the heart, the, um, what did we call it, where we want them to pick this cloak? pin and a force okay a force it would be interesting if you put a you put a puzzle out that you were going to force a pick on something and someone tried to cast some kind of a divination spell i i just wouldn't allow it i would just like we're role-playing this live in our hands right now at the table yeah like, i want to know what to pick so i'm going to cast augury and what's my feeling about this item is it wheel or woe or i'm going to cast um if you're high enough, I'm I'm DMing a, a high level game right now. The characters are 14th level. Yeah, I'm gonna cast commune. I'm gonna commune with my god. Yeah. I now, would say, of course, I can say the god says, "Well, the god doesn't know what you should pick." But it's here, here's here's my thought: is that if you come up against a scenario where somebody says, "I should be able to pick that lock," I have X skill, X proficiency, X whatever, I should be able to do it. 
your table, the culture at your table mm-hmm. has suffered some sort of um, some sort of negative twist several stages before you brought the the box out mm. because we should be playing with the social contract in place that this is a fun time. It's not a competition. Yeah. It's not. We're not trying to win the game. We're just having fun. Mm-hmm. And um, if I think especially so. Uh, coming back to what you're saying about the force and trying to divine what's happening or whatever. If you, Jeremy brought five objects out onto the table Mm -hmm. and you had practiced the shit out of this and you changed the pacing of your voice so that the cadence matched the intensity you were trying to bring. And you brought down that tone a little bit so that everybody's, cause you know how, when, if you want people to sit back, you get louder. Mm -hmm. And if you want them to come in, you get quieter, right? And you had, you had done this Mm -hmm. and you believe it's real magic. Mm -hmm. They're not going to ask any questions. Yeah. It, it it comes across like that. That's magic Mm -hmm. is that I can, uh, I can bust out a deck of cards at a gathering party, social, whatever. And if I start riffling through and say, okay, tell me when to stop, uh, pick a card, any card, yada, yada, that's a card trick. But if you pull two or three people aside, you say, you know what's really crazy? I was just talking to my grandma, and she was saying this thing about, like, if you really trust somebody, they'll be able to tell just by looking in your eyes. It's like a connection. It's almost like when you walk into a room where people have been arguing, and you can tell they've been arguing, yeah. but you didn't hear the argument, and they can tell what card is red and what card is black just by looking at you, not the card's you want to try that? And then they're like, oh, this motherfucker might know like some voodoo or something. <laughs> you know, and like, but it, it comes across. Now, here's the real problem, okay? Take that statement and throw that up against your best friend in the world, right? Your best friend in the world's going to be like, guess what, Jeremy? You're not psychic. You can't talk to dead people. You don't like, there's. <laughs> sure, so sure. That, exactly. That, like, But w- what you're talking about works great when you're at a. P- Table of players that oh, don't know you. For one shots, this kills yeah. because nobody expects you to bring magic to the game. And uh, for it to happen, especially if you can find an effect that happens in someone else's hand, that's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, if even the, the, even to a skeptic, if you believe it and you ask them if that rock is starting, not hot. You're getting a little warm. You'll see, you'll have like a guy like me tatted up, like just, you know, and like prickly looking. He'd be like, I think this fucking thing's getting a little warm in my hand. He's like looking around like, are your guy's hands getting warm? Well, and to, like this, <laughs> to be entirely honest, if someone has kept their, their fist closed for a little while, that sort of a feeling is inevitable. Yeah, sure. Right? So it's yeah. even playing into that. Yeah. At Heroes, for example, to um, to set the stage, to build that social contract. Because we're only going to know each other for about three hours or so. Yep. Um, and because I was feeling um, that uh, when I would sit down with the brand new people and I had that feeling of maybe not as good as some of the other DMs there. That like I knowing know, the rules. Yeah. I would start out by saying, like I had a little spiel, five or six lines. I'd say, uh, welcome, to, welcome to my table, everybody. Just so you know, I play D&D to have fun. 
So that means when we're playing, I am going to bend and break the rules in the name of fun. And if mm -hmm. something, we had a player that wanted to, I had all these curses written out that were ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You have uh, 90 seconds to build a mask on your face with materials you can find in this building. Go. And yeah. if you don't, X happens. One of them was the player, uh, the character, your character is compelled to hug every living being. I remember this. And the golem. And they wanted to hug a golem. And I'm like, let's play it. Let's yeah. play. What am I going to make you roll for? You're going to try and hug that golem. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to do is stand up and show me how you're going to try and hug him. What does it look like? And the guys at the table are howling because of the audacity of this idea. Mm -hmm. right? So what am I going to make him do? Roll for performance? No, he takes a step forward. And then, you know, maybe to build the suspense, I'll roll something behind the DM screen that doesn't matter anyway. No. You know. We've talked about this a number of times, too, about how rolls behind the DM screen that just don't don't mean anything. Yeah. We're just rolling. It builds, again, builds some suspense, makes the, makes the player believe yeah. that they are part I might act of like real I can't, chance. I can't find my D20. Oh, somebody passed me a D20 real quick, and then I snatch it out of their hands but hold it. Just for a second, like I'm thinking... And yeah. then roll it, you know, and you just get that, like, and everybody's yeah. like, oh, oh, it's going to happen when I hug this golem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but again, we're, I'm going off topic here, but just to, the ability to manipulate chance through your magic tricks. The reason that I know that that would have big payoffs in a game is because when chance does hit, the table goes wild. Mm -hmm. So when that 20 comes right when it's needed, mm -hmm. the table goes wild. Crit! When that one comes... That dice gets thrown in the two. fucking garbage. Yes, but even, <laughs> you know what? Even to create a hilarious outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it, a character's flirting and you go, well, give me... Give me your charisma check, and they roll a one. Yeah. And, and everybody at the table, ah, look yeah. at you, Bob, you, <laughs> yeah. Bob. Here's an easy one. Okay, here's an easy one you can take, any DM can take right now, no sleight of hand required. All you got to do is act, and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Put your wallet in your armpit, inside of your shirt, or a balled-up sock. And when you squeeze down on it, it cuts the blood flow to your arm. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is what you're going to do. You are playing the part of a necromancer or somebody who communes with the dead. So you're going to ask one of your players to start taking your pulse. And with their other hand, they're going to take a pen, they're going to take a key, something like that. And for each time they feel your heartbeat, they're going to rap on the table. And as you start to slow down your blood by pressing in that arm. Will that work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And slowly, I, I wish you know what <clears throat> we've talked about this last last session about uh, bringing a camera to these and like streaming out the the recordings of these. I wish people could have seen your face <laughs> when you just looked at me there and went, "Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome, that was awesome." And uh, the the rest of the players will hear it slows down until eventually, maybe you exhale and drop your head. And it stops. But but is your hand not numb at that point? No. No, no. No? No, no, no. This this tapping 
will make the, the, the table silent. And then that could be all you do. And it's just, you have, you have stopped your pulse. You have crossed over to the other side. I am now ready to commune with the dead. What would you like to ask? Right? Yeah. I'm half here. I'm half there. You could come up with some sort of monologue about how important it is to, mm-hmm. you know, hear and see here, but feel there or something, you know? Well, that's funny. That's funny. I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I have a player at my table that could find my... Oh, I have a nurse at my table. He could find my pulse. You can just take their fingers and put it right on. <laughs> here, hold right here. I think this is it. Yeah, no, that's good. Let's talk about your, um, what, what was it called with the stick and the... the sky tail. Oh, yeah, because I actually talked about this on one of our previous um, one of our previous uh, podcasts, that I like this prop so much. So it's just a piece of doweling. Yep. Yeah, it's a, a piece of room stick that uh, I cut halfway, then snapped off the end so it would look all wretched, mm-hmm. and banged the crap out of it, and stained it, and rolled mm-hmm. it around outside, and then just took... Uh, some I keep wanting to call it rawhide, but it's not rawhide. That's a dog's chew on. No, I think it's just called chamois. A chamois, right? Those it's like a it's a chamois. It's like hide, but it is leather. It is a, a treated leather. Yeah, and you you wet it down and you wring it out, and that's what you yeah. wipe your car off with when you clean it, because that's what adults do, and I totally do that. <laughs> so you cut a big strip out of this thing, yep. and uh, you start it at one end, uh, held perpendicular to the rod, and you. You coil it around as though you're uh, wrapping the hilt of a sword or something. But not covering itself up. Like you're going all the way down. And then you write a message on it. Starting from where the very end of the tail begins. And you write it from left to right with one letter on each strip. And you turn the actual device as you're writing it down and down and down. And when you uncoil it. It's encoded. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's not legible. No, it's, a, it's an ancient Roman, I think, uh, uh, encoding device. It's like one of the very first types of encryption. Mm-hmm. So that when you're looking at this strip, it's just random. It looks like random letters. And you can't figure out what the message says until you wrap it around. Mm-hmm. So you put, you put the strips out as a prop. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, do you put only the one dowel, or do you put? Because I guess with different diameter dowels, you would not get the message you're looking for, right? Or I might let them uh, find at the beginning of the night they find the strip. Yeah, and they're of course any group's going to be like, we need to find something to do with this, and so they're looking, well, looking, they're gonna, looking. The strip has the letters on it, so they can start to try to figure out what it's saying, right? Yeah. And they'll figure, or you can award the the rod separately, or they find it with it, maybe, you know. Um... So the 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 crux of this podcast that we do is that we don't have a name for it. Sure. So if you ha- if you had to name the old men rolling dice DM chat podcast, what what name would you give it? As it it could be as ridiculous or as serious as you would like. We've asked this of all the guests. Okay, no problem. Uh, <laughs> first of all, um, it's not just a name. It's a lifestyle. No, no, no. It's coming to me. This is an entire brand. Uh, this is going to be called, and please note my wording. Okay. This is going to be called Dungeon Master Dialogues. And uh, you could even shorten it to DM Dialogues if you want, or DMD. I'd prefer it. DMD? Yeah. Dungeon Master Dialogues with... Jeremy Holt and Bill Dungey. Now, and first of all, you're going to have to work on your English voice because that's, right. that's how it has right. to happen. 
And it could, you know, you could come in with some nice, like, harpist chord stuff. You know? And, uh, oh, you could come up with a seal, right? Like, DMD seal. And it, you are far more involved than other people have been. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, I just have undiagnosed ADD. <laughs> this is just... <laughs> like, <laughs> Go wild with this. My crafting area over there that has, like, you know... <laughs> it's like, today I want to be a painter. No, now I want to make ornate boxes. Now I want to <laughs> just... <laughs> Bill, think of this thing. I'm like, got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for sharing your props with me. Yeah, hopefully you get a chance to DM again soon. Mm-hmm. I know you've been on a bit of a hiatus. We bet, yeah. We bet. Life gets in the way. Shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Old Men Rolling Dice. Maybe soon to be uh, <laughs> Dungeon Master... Dialogues. Dialogues. Yeah. Dungeon Master. Or Dialogues with Dungeon Masters. Something dialogues Dialogues. That's Master. regal as shit. Dialogues. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like... It's regal. It's There's regal. There's your tagline. It's regal. <laughs> shit. (laughs) That is our episode. Thank you for listening if you've stayed with us the entire time. And uh, as always, good night, Dick. Dick.